Praise God. Praise God. Well, our final night dwelling together on Chase the Lion. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for hanging with me. And I pray that what God has put within me and the messages that he has birthed within me, that I have been able to, the extent necessary, get them out to you. And the great thing about preaching is, is that by definition, the human factor puts a limitation on pride. And anybody that's ever preached or taught, you know you've got so much more in and you can't get it out. And yet I've also been doing this long enough that I know that by the Spirit of God, there's a measure of what is in that I can't get out, that by the power of the Spirit, it does get out. And I don't know how that works, but I'm thankful for it. And so in this series, I've been counting on that, and I trust that you've been able to receive this. And um, I will tell you right now that, that um, and I'll make some more comments in particular about this, but I will not be with you for the next two Sundays. The elders are coming in, and it is intentional. Um, it's not just a matter of schedule. It's not just a matter, but I intentionally placed this series where I did because with the intensity of the voice that I have spoken to you with and with the measure of what I've shared with you, it is important that then I walk away from you and I leave that in your hands and I'll talk more about that. But it's important the next several weeks that you allow God to continue to speak into your hearts and your minds. And um, I do not control what these elders speak. I also don't worry about what they speak. These are people who have been serving God together between them and their wives. It's nearly 200 years of discipleship between all of them. There's a faithfulness that has been there. And uh, I know that God will begin to do what needs to happen in the upcoming weeks. Um, Regina and, the, and some of the kids will be here next Sunday morning. And then, as is our habit, and many of you look for it, um, we will be taking our annual vacation with our family Thank you in advance for our ability to pull away. I've had to tell my kids that they really don't need a vacation. I've told them, you don't do enough in life to get a vacation yet. It's just your mom and I love you, and we like you enough, and we have to still take you with us, all of the above, that you get two weeks. You should hear them around the house. Oh, I can't wait to relax. <laughs> I'm like, dear Jesus, you have nothing to relax from. But anyway, there are very beautiful memories. And uh, Regina and I are very acutely aware that the clock is ticking on this phase of life with regard to the kids. Uh, just to put it in perspective, in five years... Vincent will be done with college. Caleb and Marcus will both be at various stages of college. Candace will be 18, an adult, voting in all the elections. And Cassandra will be 16 in just five short years. Just five years ago, and I can't even imagine how fast it's gone, but just five years ago, I graduated with my Ph.D., that tells you how fast time has moved. And so thank you in advance for giving me the liberty. Um, I didn't really ask your permission, 
but none of you have shot me yet or fired me or any of the other things you could do in the liberty as I am spending um, a portion of that time that did get dedicated in the early years into education and into the graduate school portion of that with my with my family the reason I will not be with you next Sunday morning is because I cannot find a way back from Beaumont Texas in time they put a Bible quiz tournament in Beaumont Texas and Beaumont Texas is just not convenient to any major airport and so I'm going to be traveling Sunday morning and my thoughts and my prayers will be with you and then my family will pick me up and we will head off to Vermont and so um I didn't like that when I first laid it out, but now coming to this point at this sermon with what this week is, I can see that God has it perfectly orchestrated because what I've had to say to you this month is about done. And when I get done, I will have dumped a load on you and uh, I need to give you time to kind of plow through it. It's kind of like when the, the server at the restaurant comes out, there's a reason they break it into courses. Uh, but they come out and they just put plate after plate after plate and you sit back and you look at it and you go, boy, this is going to be fun. And then as you plow through it, slowly but surely you start hurting and suddenly you realize, oh my goodness, this was hard work eating all this food. In some ways, that is what the last six Sunday services have been or this one is the sixth one. And so I pray that you will, in this closing time of prayer and fasting, that you will allow God to lead and direct you. Again, a few things to repeat to you um, because not only do I want to remind you, but I want to emphasize these to you. This chase the lion has been a narrative. It's been a theme and a metaphor. And today, both this morning and tonight, is about defining the lions of Newark UPC. This is about us defining our lions. If you go to our website, you will see there's an additional piece that I've not put on the title slide, which this morning has in parentheses, disciples. And tonight, you'll see on the website that it has in parentheses, churches. So if you will, the defining of the lions of New York UBC have been focused upon those two aspects of our vision that God has placed before us, that of make disciples of all, and the second is establish new churches. I remind you again and again and again that lions, by their very definition, are always beyond our abilities. They are always beyond our abilities. Everything that God places before you in his vision for you requires him to be present with you. It requires his redemption. It requires his miraculous power. It requires his rescue, as David says it, in order for it to work. There's no way that you can do what God has called you to do. There is no way that we can fulfill God's vision for us as a congregation unless he rescues us. Would you say amen? Remember that lions are those places those actions and those circumstances that threaten the fulfillment of God's vision for our lives. They threaten it. In other words, it is not easy to fulfill the vision God has for you. It is not an automatic. It is not a guarantee. There is a threat, just as surely as a lion was a threat to Benaiah, just as surely as lions and bears were threats to David, they are a threat. It is a threat that we cannot overcome without God's help. 
But also remember that God uses these very same lions, these very same places, these very same actions, these very same circumstances that we have to overcome. He uses them and our overcoming of them to fulfill his vision in us. It's part and parcel. See, sometimes we approach this and we think if God would just remove the lion, then I can do what he asked me to do. And what you're missing is, is that God actually uses you chasing and killing the lion, you chasing and overcoming that place, that action or that circumstance, which seems to be a threat and seems to be beyond your ability. He uses that very thing to fulfill in you his vision. Without the lion, there is no fulfillment of the vision. Without the lion, you will not become, we will not do and become what God has called us to do. As I mentioned to you this morning, a church must be committed and we must be committed to ongoing calibration, making sure that things are lined up to the vision. The vision has really not changed. I simply have wordsmithed it. I want everybody to get that. I want to be very clear about that. The vision has not changed. My father and my mother did not build a church based upon most of the things that many churches build on. They built it on the word. They built it on teaching. They built it on discipleship. Yes, I have worked very hard because our generation and our time needs this to be clearly articulated and needs this to have clarity in it so that we can stay focused. But I'm telling you right now that the vision has not changed. It has been from day one, that first Sunday in December on 19, in 1978, they were trying to make disciples. All kinds of people told them things they needed to do, but when it didn't have to do with discipleship, they didn't do it. For years, my father has been known by this moniker. Oh, Brother Beardsley hates music. It's not true. It has always been a lie. But my father got tired of people coming in and asking questions because at his time and his place, music was a distraction from the main thing, making disciples. So he simply set it aside. He looked at my mom and said, you're going to play the organ because I know that you're going to be in lockstep with me. And that's all. We're not messing with anything else. That's what we're doing. And for many, many years, that's what he did. He didn't let anything else be built. Why? Because it was about making disciples, period. Very few, if any of you, were around to hear him. But I've told you, and he's confirmed it, that over and over and over, when there was hardly a church existing already, he would talk about, we're going to plant more churches. It looks stupid. But no more stupid than a man chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Unless the Lord delivers you, the lion's going to eat you. 
My father is now 78 years old. And what God has told him and what he articulated as a vision has not yet come to pass. He swears up and down to me, Steve, your mother and I have passed our greatest moments of crisis. We are around for a while. There's a side of me that says hallelujah, and there's a side of me that says, oh, Jesus. I don't know if my father's going to see, but I'm telling you the vision that God gives for a church is bigger than any one individual. It's bigger than any generation, and it will come to pass. But when it first begins to be articulated, it doesn't make any sense. But it has to be articulated, and it has to be calibrated to, or you will become something you didn't intend to be. You will drift into something you didn't intend to be. Regina and I have realized that parenting is hard work. It's exhausting. There are constantly forces trying to distract us from our main goal. In fact, some of those forces can even be close family members. They can even be a loving church. There's all kinds of people that have opinions and ideas, and there's all kinds of things coming. But you have to have a clear vision about what you're trying to do with your kids, or you won't make it. And likewise, you have to have a clear vision about what God has called you uniquely to do within his body. And we as a church must have a clear vision about what God has called us to do. We are called to make disciples of all, and we are called to establish new churches. Burn it into your mind. Memorize it. It's not that long. Make disciples of all, establish new churches. It's only seven words. Two parts, seven words. The first one's four. Make disciples of all. I wish I could get rid of the of. Then we'd have three and three. But I need the of. So it's four and three. Make disciples of all. Establish new churches. Anyone asks you, what does Newark UPC exist? You need to burn it into your mind so that you know why we exist. Because every time you're wondering what's happening, you come back and you measure what we're doing by those two statements. Make disciples of all and establish new churches. So the act of recalibration, the act of lining things up, so that the input results in the expected output is our chasing the lions. We have to constantly be in a mode of calibration. I'm not saying we're changing everything all the time, but I'm talking about you're measuring, you're checking, you're making sure that we're not drifting away from the vision. As I said this morning, the gospel and the word of God are fixed. They're not moving. But how we share that gospel, that has to be contextualized. That has to be put together in a way that it reaches our generation and our time. 
I've traveled enough and I will travel more throughout my life that I already know that what you do, there is a message that is the same. There is a spirit that is the same. But what exactly happens in Africa is not the same as what exactly happens here. There is a difference. There is a diversity in the how. And we as a church must be like David, who before he died, he did the will of God. Not his will, not his wants. He did the will of God in his generation, in his time, and then he died. I do not consider myself old, but I am acutely aware that the past 20 years have gone by awfully fast. 20 years from tonight, I will stand on the precipice of the year in which perhaps, maybe, I'm not counting on it, I begin to go on the government dole. It's called Social Security. I've paid those taxes faithfully, and at that point, I will have paid them faithfully for over 40 years. It is the worst investment of my life. My point is not to complain about the government or Social Security. My point is to point out to you that I stand at the midway point between being young and being old. When I say old, that doesn't mean I'm done. It doesn't mean I don't have anything else to contribute. But it does mean I'm no longer young. I'm not even middle-aged. So I stand at this midway point, and I want you to understand that unless the Lord comes... I will go beyond that midway point, and I will die. And the last thing I want to have happen, and the last thing this congregation needs to have happen, is for us to build something, for us to do something, for us to pursue even God's vision, but to pursue it in a way that it is not calibrated to last. I will not dedicate my life. I did not leave my selfish desires. I did not leave my desire to be very rich. I did not leave that to simply build something in the kingdom that when I'm gone, it's gone. I will not do that. What makes it sustained, what makes it live on, is because it becomes the will of God. And God is timeless. God is the one who spans time. God knows how to build something. I don't know how to build something bigger than my lifespan. I don't know how to build something bigger than me, but God does. And that's why the lion is bigger than me. That's why God's vision for us is bigger than us, because it's bigger than what we can even fathom. Literally, our entire work in the kingdom is a cog inside of a giant plan that spans not just hundreds of years, but spans millenniums. We can't handle that. We can't see the whole picture. And so we, like David, have to settle ourselves in and say, I'm going to do the will of God in my time to my generation, and then I'm going to die. And I'm going to trust Almighty God that he knew what he was doing.
This is why my person can't get involved in it. This is why my agendas cannot get involved with it. That's why God will only empower us when we chase lions, when we chase things bigger than us. And if it's not from him, well, then you're going to feel its claws. You can chase a lion that God doesn't want you to chase. The good news is, is it won't kill you. It'll just maul you good. Some of you have learned that lesson. You've had to come home and clean up your wounds. Don't chase lions that aren't a part of his will. I'm not here to be critical of any other church, any other pastor, or any other group of people. They have their lions to chase, and they answer to their master for it. I'm here articulating and defining our lions. I don't define the past generation, even though I am in lockstep with it and I grew up here. But I don't define the past generation, nor do I find, define the one coming after me. I serve my generation in my time. You serve your generation in your time. We serve our generation in our time. If God is not linking this together, then it's all for naught. But I read the Bible enough to see that he does seem to have a plan. He does seem to be working across time. He does seem to have that which links generation to generation and building from one time to another time. So I'm going to do my part. We're going to do our part. Calibration is that process of aligning ourselves with God's vision for us so that we are able to make disciples of all and so that we are able to establish new churches. Calibration requires measuring. We will continue to measure. But eventually, after you've measured, after you've evaluated, you then have to begin adjusting because you'll find out things aren't calibrated. I was told by my mechanic that I needed new tires. I don't buy tires from my mechanic. I don't even know how, but I got involved with Delaware Tire. That's where I get my tires. So when my mechanic alerts me that I need new tires, I go to Delaware Tire. So I pull up. I say, my mechanic tells me I need new tires. So the gentleman, he comes out. Jewel. 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 Point her up to me. Jewel. Sit down and be still. Hey. Don't laugh. And don't let mama get mad at me. Jewel. My little girl. Hey. Shh. No. Shh. No, shh, you, shh, and tell Minnie to be quiet too. There you go. Hey, that little girl's going to pastor a church sometime. I want to influence her. Don't get mad at me. You were in the bathroom. Did you see what I did? You didn't see what I did, did you? Good. You'd be mad at me if you did. That was the Lord. That's right. I don't know why I did it, but I did it. Jewel and I prayed tonight together. So I go to the tire place, pull in. He walks out, looks at the back tires, says, well, they're not totally gone. Looks at the front tires and goes, ooh, those are dangerous. Then he looks at the other back tire, and there's a nail in it. So he says, yeah, Mr. Beardsley, you're going to need some new tires. So we go inside, and I'm, I'm, I got an old Suburban. I'm, I'm hoping maybe I can get some cheaper tires, but 
from the top of the line. I, the ones I bought, I got six years out of them. I got 65,000 miles out of them, so I did good. He told me I did good with those. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know that I got 65,000 miles on the Suburban left. And so I'm thinking, can I get something cheap? Well, I found out if I go to still what is necessary to drive in the snow and, and have safety and, and, and all of that, I'm still, I'm only saving a 100 bucks. And so I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't do me any good. Let's gamble on the other side that I get 65,000 miles out of the car. So he says, you want an alignment? I said, I don't know. Do I need an alignment? Some of you are sitting here like me going, I don't know. We need to realign? Well, he takes the car, tells me what the cost is. I said, fine, align it if it's needed. He said, if it doesn't need it, I won't do it. So takes the car. I come back and pick the car up and he hands me a sheet of paper. I don't know how to read it, but it was measurements. He says, you were badly out of a line. He said, I don't know how you were doing. He says, I, I'm surprised the tires are still on there. I don't know. You were badly out of alignment. The car was running. I got where I needed to go. But I wasn't getting there the way I was supposed to. It was news to me. But measuring is not all that happens in realignment. He didn't measure it, hand me the paper and say, hey, Mr. Beardsley, you're really out of alignment, but have a, enjoy your new tires. No, he made some adjustments. And so now we begin, even while we continue to measure, we begin to adjust. We'll continue checking and measuring, yes, but it's time to begin adjusting. People are excited when you talk about change in the theoretical. It's even kind of exciting. But then when it starts changing... Then when reality starts coming in, that's the point where nobody likes it. I've already, I've been engaged in some of this, and I've already, I've had everybody in the church not like some aspect of what it is that I've already implemented, and I didn't implement anything big yet. My father, he's kind of important in my life, right? He don't get it. He's flipped out on me through this past year more times. Now, understand, we're good, but he's still, he's been like, Steve, what are you doing? <laughs> he ain't kidding either. That's the crazy part. Change. Adjustment is going to be like chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day. It's not going to be going to Dairy Queen for ice cream. We're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you just need to suit up. That it's going to have some bumps and bruises. You just need to suit up. You need to expect that things aren't going to go perfectly smooth. Both because you won't like every change. I won't like every change. But also because we won't even do every change right. We'll like mess up. We'll jump for the pit and not stick the landing. So then we're going to be making changes limping. And when you're limping, it means you're hurting. And it's like, man, it hurts. And, and it's not like you're going to die. This ankle hurts right now. I'm not going to die. 
I have no chance of dying. This is not going to cost me my life. It's just an irritant for a few weeks. It means at times i got to go home and sit down and wrap it in ice so I can get it to calm down. There's times when I'm going, God, I really wish I hadn't jumped off that stage. But adjustment has to happen. This year, 2017, the primary adjustment will be in small groups. I'm trying to make it as palatable as possible. I'm trying to do it in slow-mo, if you will. But at the same time, we must recalibrate. And part of the key to this is we've got to keep things in perspective. Because little things become big deals. And big things are missed and don't matter when we lose proper perspective. And I'm telling you right now, what God has in plan for us is far bigger than us having small groups. We need to do small groups, and we need to do them well. We need to engage what God has placed within us. And I have no question about this, that we are to engage in this process of worship and learn and serve. We haven't even worked on the serve yet. That's in process this year, but it's behind the scenes. We haven't even got to the serve thing. Literally, the vision is, what God wants to see is every single week, we are in the community serving. Not knocking on doors, serving. Why? Because as we're in the community serving, as we're engaged, guess what we're going to run into? People who aren't saved. People who are lost. People who are hurting. And you're not going to have to quote them Bible. You're not going to sit down and teach them a Bible study. You're simply going to be a Christian. And as you let your light shine, they're going to ask you, Hey, who are you? Hey, where'd you come from? Hey, why do you act that way? Hey, what is that about you? And you are ready to give them an answer for the hope that is in you. There's a piece of me that says, We need that now. But if I don't put into place the discipleship process first, then all we're doing is sending a bunch of people into the community to serve. We need a bunch of Christians to go into the community to serve. A bunch of people serving doesn't do it. We need a bunch of Christians to go and serve. We need disciples to go and serve. The world's got plenty of volunteers. They need Christ volunteers. Well, we only become Christians, we only become disciples by discipleship, by learning. So worship, learn, serve. So we we got work there. Now tonight what I want to do is take the next few minutes and paint it out even further. This morning I gave you, and if you weren't here, I've just given you a cursory, and I've given you a few nuances, and I focused in on a few areas further than this morning but that was about making disciples worship learn and serve is about making disciples but now we've got to take it the next step beyond because disciples who sit around don't plant churches disciples who just want to be disciples sitting around the feet of the master they lose their discipleship because God calls people to be his disciples in order to send them It's fun to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's not so fun to be beaten. 
It's even fun to get knocked on your keister on the road to Damascus and hear the voice of God call you out and say, I am Jesus, and realize that you've just had a face-to-face -face with Almighty. And it's another thing then for that Almighty to say, now let me show you all the things you will suffer for my namesake. Three words, I'm not as locked into them as worship, learn, and serve, but I think it's a good start. Three words that I want to use to talk to you about this and for you to understand this process is mature, lead, and everybody remember, lead means serve. Mature, lead, and separate. Everybody remember Susan? She came to church. She was 21 years old. There's Bobby. He came. He's 25. There's John and Destiny. They're in their 40s. They have three kids. Nick's 15. Felicia's 10 and Jordan's 3. And then there's Richard and Nancy at 65. Now, for those of you that weren't here this morning, these aren't real people. They're made up. They're meant to give you something to hold on to. They're meant to give you an image for you to consider how God is going to fulfill the vision of make disciples of all and establish new churches. You can't establish churches without disciples. Disciples are the building blocks of churches. Jesus sent 12 disciples and many more actually into the world and says, carry my gospel. First, he spent three and a half years with them, making them his disciples. Then he says, now you go and make more disciples and teach them everything I taught you. Paul talks to Timothy and says, you need to, Timothy, take what I have taught you. And you need to, in turn, teach others. And you need to teach those others in such a way that they know how to teach others. And, in fact, know how to teach others so that they know how to teach others. That's the building blocks of a kingdom that God is building. So there has to be in discipleship, in worship, in learning, in serving, there has to be a maturing that then leads to leading, that then can lead to separation. So let me talk about Susan and Bobby. Guess what, guys? Susan took forever to get it together. Here's where the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Some of you that lined up with, remember I said Susan got the Holy Ghost and didn't tell us? This is where I'm hoping that you don't match up with Susan. But Susan took forever to become a disciple. She came to church. She even went through the discipleship classes. She even got involved in small groups. But Susan could not get it together on serving. So years went by. Two, three, four years went by. Nothing's happening. It's important that we create an atmosphere where the timeline is between the person and God, not us and the person. I'm going to say that again. It's important that we create an atmosphere where the timeline is between the person and God not between the person and us. I am as frustrated as you at times with people's timelines. I've been frustrated with probably nearly every one of you at one point or another about something, as I'm sure you have been with me. At the end of the day, this is a place where everyone can come. Everyone is welcome in our midst. Everyone can pursue discipleship with Jesus. And there's time and space. And not everybody's going to go gung-ho. Richard and Nancy, they're the opposite. 65, they knew what they were doing. They weren't playing around. And two years in, 
Richard and Nancy were hardcore. They were at every single service. They came to every small group. They were knocking on the pastor's door saying, what can we do? They already headed up a team that did something every single week and serving in the community, and they had more jobs and positions, remember, they're retired, than they could shake a stick at within the church. They were ready to go. Two years. Susan, she's just twiddling along. The mistake we'll make is if we judge people based upon their timeline. Because some of your best people, some of the people that are going to become the most faithful and integral in what God does, will take you a long time to make disciples. That's why we have to build a structure and a system that we just keep working it. It's simple and we won't change. And we leave the time between them and God. Bobby, remember Bobby? He came to a small group. Well, Bobby, it took about a year and a half for him to start coming to anything beyond the small groups. But finally, when he came to church, things took off. Bobby really took off. He, he uh, got the Holy Ghost. He got baptized. He got involved, and things were doing really, really well. You know, the crazy part is what finally got Susan to start stabilizing is she got her eye on Bobby. That's happened before. She got her eye on Bobby. She saw Bobby. Now, Bobby Bobby didn't see her. Bobby was really focused on Jesus. He was really going at it. But Susan had her eye on Bobby. And ladies, you know when you get your eye on a guy, you have a way of getting their eye on you. See, we've got to be able to work with people that are coming from different backgrounds, that are coming from different places, that are dealing with different maturity levels. But there's a system in place that's feeding them. Because can I tell you something about Susan? Four years in, because she was interested in Bobby, suddenly it clicked. And Susan went from zero to 100. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you, there's some of you that were like that. Dear God, when you first walked in, if we didn't know better, we'd have written you off. You were a mess with no hope of getting it together. But God. But God. So when the hot messes walk in here and they can't get it together and they can't figure out what they're doing and my goodness if they'll just obey the rules, if they'll just follow the process, you need to be patient, church. Work the process. We worship on the weekends. We take Monday as a Sabbath. We learn on Tuesday through Thursday. We serve throughout the week in the church and in the community. And we do it week in and week out, year after year. And we don't look at the numbers. We don't judge where people are. We just keep working the process. Because it was like, boing, and Susan woke up. Well, needless to say, I'm excited to tell you, I married Susan and Bobby. It was really, really cool. And then, consternation of all consternation. A year later, they come into my office. Now, we're about year six, okay, so from when they first showed up. They come into my office and they say, remember, this is all made up, right? You got it? It's kind of vivid, though. You got it? This is the possibilities. This is what we're building for. This is why we exist. I'm not going to embarrass any of you, but you see, I have some of these stories. I know some of you. You sat in my office before when I hardly knew what I was doing, and you definitely didn't know what you're doing. And look at where we are now, baby. God builds with losers into winners. God takes losers and turns them into winners. 
by making disciples. But he doesn't intend just to make disciples so that then they can sit around and clap their hands and say, Wee, I'm a Jesus. I love Jesus. It's not about us. Because more churches mean more souls. Has everybody got that? More churches mean more souls. Effectively reaching them. So Susan and Bobby come into my office and they're, they're consternated because they're, because they're, they're, they've got a problem. They said, Pastor, we're real excited that we, they've been real active in their small group. In fact, I'd even tapped them to, uh, to, to be involved with the teaching crew. And so they, they were teaching, and they had already hosted a small group, so they're teaching. And, and, and they said, Pastor, we've really been enjoying the small groups. They said, great, I've been hearing good reports. They said, but there's a problem. What? Susan feels like she's called the pastor, and I don't. This is Bobby talking. I smiled real big and said, what's the problem? Isn't the man supposed to be the preacher and the woman supposed to be the spouse? Not what I see in the Bible. Hi, Priscilla. Hi, Aquila. I don't see the problem. So, you ready for a second small group? So, Susan and Bobby start running multiple small groups. It's going pretty well. Now, I, I watch it carefully. The staff watches it carefully because we don't want to outstrip anyone. We don't want anyone losing their family life. We don't want anybody being a poor, uh, a poor worker on the job, all those kinds of things. But Susan and Bobby, they, they're really going at it. Um, they, they, how many kids do you want them to have? Five. All right, there you go. Five kids. So Susan and Bobby, hey, we might as well make up the story together, right? So we can illustrate it. Susan and Bobby, they run multiple small groups. Meanwhile, what's happening at church? Church is filling up. Getting past that comfortable stage. Past 200 in a single service. So then we start another service. That service is dinky. Only 15 people show up. But it pulls off just enough. And so slowly but surely, that's how it's growing. There's multiple services. Susan and Bobby, are, the small groups are growing. Sunday night, it's starting to grow a little bit, but it's still fairly small. It's only the leadership. It's only the people that are, that are really engaged in serving. Let me take a pause from Susan and Bobby. They're running multiple small groups. John and Destiny, they're kind of in between. They didn't take as long as, 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 as Susan did, but they didn't go as quick as Richard and Nancy. But, but they had come with a religious background, and so they were working through it. And, and once they realized they were safe here, and once they realized that it was, it was safe for their kids, they started getting involved. Their son, Nick, continued to grow. In fact, at 18, he got very, very involved, got involved with young people, got involved in the orchestra. So the kids were doing great, and, and John and Destiny were involved in their small groups, and they also began to lead a small group. Meanwhile, Richard and Nancy... They just kept progressing. God was doing a fast work in them. All those years of being beat up in the world, all those years of maturity that had come through hard knocks, put into Christ, it began to, they began to really get there. They were thinking about moving to Florida, but they pulled it off. They said, you know what, we got too much to do here, and they didn't do it. So here they go. They go at it. They're, they're maturing. They're going after it. And, uh, and so... There begins to be a coalescing of small groups. There's a pocket of small groups. About four or five, and they keep growing, and we split them, we keep growing, and we keep splitting them. And there's a pocket in a particular area. 
I, I didn't think the story through well enough to pick which area, okay? So you pick which area in Newcastle County, but there's an area, okay? And so it, it, there's five or six small groups, so there's like 50 people there. So we've got, we've got, we've got a service going on, on Sunday morning just like normal. We've got another service on Saturday night, which is starting to minister to people that, whose schedule doesn't fit the Sunday morning. But now we got this, this growth that's happening, and there's these people, and they're all in the main same area. Same, they're like five miles, five mile radius. They're right inside of this pocket. And John and Nancy, they've been running multiple groups. They've been doing great. And so I looked at them, and I said, okay, it's time to start another service, but in another site. Richard and Nancy looked at me and said, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, I'm not kidding you. I said, Pastor, how are you going to get there and preach? I said, I'm not. That's just my timer. It doesn't mean I'm going to follow it. <laughs> I'm not. Well, who's going to preach it, Pastor? You are. So they went and prayed about it. They came back and they said, we're scared to death. Yeah, I bet you are. So am I. I've never had another church across town where I wasn't the one preaching it. i got to trust you. i got to trust that you're going to preach the word. i got to trust that you're going to stay humble. i got to trust that you're not going to get lifted up in pride. You've done good in the small groups, but, you know, you can go to your head. i got to trust that you're willing to. Because I'm not, I'm not starting an autonomous church. This isn't your church. This is another site of this church. There's going to be times I'm going to hand you a sermon series and say, I need you to preach it over there while I'm preaching it here. There are going to be times I'm going to say we're going to simulcast it. For all of you that aren't techies, that means what's getting preached here shows up on a screen over there. Now stay with me. Because if you don't pay attention right now, you're going to think all we're doing is building a mega church. Stay with me. Everybody stay with me. So Richard and Nancy, they pray. They say, okay, we'll do it. And so they start doing it. Now guess what? Those 50 people that all live over there, they don't all want to leave the New Ark Church. They have to make some changes in their brain to realize they're not leaving the New Ark Church. They're extending the New Ark Church. It's still Newark. By the way, that's the problem. If this actually happens, if this is really coming from God, we're probably going to have to do a name change because the city being tied in doesn't work. And I have no idea what to call it. He's going to change the name. Some of you are excited about that, and some of you are horrified by that. I'm horrified by that. I like Newark UPC. It's branded. Everybody knows us. But the problem is, is God's put some lions in my path and said, I want you to chase those lions. And they're bigger than me. They're bigger than us. And they're about his vision, not ours. Can I tell you something? God's not wedded to Newark. God's wedded to souls. God's not wedded to a name. He's the only way to the Father anyway, and his name is Jesus. That's the only name he's wedded to. 
But I still, branding, man, I don't know what to call it. I've been racking my brain. I'd love to come and tell you, yeah, maybe we'll call it this. I don't know because I don't like all the goofy names of these other churches. New Destiny. Greater Destiny. And other goofy stuff. I'm not interested in that. I'm not trying to be slick. I'm, but there's, there's got to be a way that it can multiply. There's got to be a way that it can go. And so Richard and Nancy, they take it and they go after it. And they serve there for 10 years. They're nearly 75, but the church grows. Meanwhile, we're continuing to grow. Boy, it's complicated now. By this point, Sister Leela is doing nothing but making sure I have my head on straight. <laughs> Needs are growing. We keep struggling to keep the balance between money and reserves. And people, paid, volunteer. Messy, totally messy. But disciples are being made. Well, what about the churches, preacher? You told me that we were going to establish churches. Listen to me very carefully. One of the things we've learned and what we've planted already is that some of those churches would have done well with a phase. And in fact, we did it, but it, it, we had the wrong language and we had the wrong structure. We'd have done better with a better structure. And I think God has taught us that. That they needed a phase where they were still a part of us. They weren't even separated from us. They didn't have the financial obligations. They didn't have any of the infrastructure obligations. They just were focused on caring for people. That's multi-site. So Richard and Nancy do that. Meanwhile, John and Destiny are doing well. Richard and Nancy come to me, and again, I don't have my timeline correct here. I'm having to hop back around between these people for you to see how God takes brand new people, disciples, and through process, builds them into disciples, and from disciples, plants churches. Richard and Nancy come to me, and they say, guys, we're old. We've got to slow down. We can't keep up with it. I said, fine, can you, can you do it for a year or two more if I send you somebody to help with you? And so I send John and Destiny over there. They do great. So several years later, Richard and Nancy come home. They're elders within the church. They continue to work, but John and Destiny take over that multi-site church, and it explodes. Continuing. But John and Destiny have right attitude and right spirit. I said to them, do you feel, the, you feel God separating you? You've been matured. You're leading. Do you feel the call to separate? But their answer comes back every single time. No. We feel nothing but to stay right where we're at doing what we're supposed to be doing. We run the multi-site church. We come back to Newark at the nights. We're involved with everything else. No, we don't feel to switch. I said, okay. So we continue. Faithful. Meanwhile, Susan and Bobby... They're building small groups. They've got multiple small groups. And so we start another site with them. So now you've got multiple services going on here. And you've got multiple sites going on out there. The intent is to plant churches. Everybody hear me on that? The intent is to plant churches. So then why do you keep talking about multi-site? Because the point of multi-site is to create a smooth and seamless process. Let me give you this analogy. If you don't have a mama, you can't have a baby. 
If you don't have disciples, you can't have a church. But there is a period of time in which that baby is its own being. That's why the world is confused. They don't understand that baby is its own being. But it lives connected and dependent upon mama. It's still its own being. It is not its mother. It's its own entity. It's its own identity. And yet it shares the DNA of its mother and its father. Part of the problem of planting churches is we do not have a seamless or smooth process to move from the point of conception to the point of viability outside the womb. Multi-site is simply the process that allows the conception to be safe through a process till the time that God says separate them. We could push the analogy a little bit further and simply say that multi-site is the process whereby not only is there conception and a baby in the womb, but as you all know, when that baby is born, you don't place it in a car and say, see ya, have a good life. No, they live in your home. You feed them. You change their diaper. You work with them. And so just like that, with a church, you birth it, but you also care for it. And the exact timeline of that moving that child out of your home varies from child to child, and it has to do with specifics. So, Susan and Robert, they start another site. They're faithful in it. A few years down the road, it's grown, it's done well. They've been in submission They've operated ethically. They've stayed connected. But once again, they come in and they're bothered. Just like before, God's doing something they didn't expect. The model they saw before was that of Richard and Nancy. The multi-site stayed connected. Then, John and Destiny went in and took that over and, 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 and continued to run it and it continued to do well. They thought they were going to do the same, but there's something that's pressing on them and they're scared. So they come in, they see me. He said, Pastor, we're, we're a little scared. I said, I know. He said, what do you mean? I said, because it's time to birth you. It's time to separate you. It's time to plant you autonomously. My dad and I have had extended conversations in which he rightfully so points out to me human frailty. Pride, human desire, unless the Lord rescues us, I'm setting us on a path that's going to blow sky high. Because you're going to start on the path. Some of you are going to mature and some of you are going to begin to lead. And then you're not going to make that choice when pride steps up. You're not going to see the bigger vision. And he's right. Humanly, what I'm talking about seems impossible. But I'm here tonight to tell you that I cannot get away from what God is pushing on me and saying. There may be some who will be caught up in pride. 
If that happens, you turn them loose and you let them go their way. It won't hurt anything. And if you handle yourself right, Steve, you'll end up with another church. It won't become what I wanted it to become, but it still will be a church. But there are some people who will be humble in their spirit. There are some people who will submit themselves in their operations. There are some people who will have the vision that it's much bigger than them and it's much bigger than what they can see. And they will be willing to commit to my vision and they'll be willing to chase the impossible and through them I will show you the planning of the churches that your father said would happen so I'm jumping into the pit I'm well aware that there are all kinds of things that are going to get in the way that's the point in the very lions God builds us and fulfills his vision in us. So Susan and Bobby become an autonomous church. Meanwhile, home church. It's getting tight. There's two services on Sunday. There's two services on Saturday. And finally, Sunday night's busting at the seams. I'm not for sake of confidentiality going to go further than this, but I'm going to tell you right now. When Sunday night is full of people who are committed both with their time and their money, if we need to build another building, we'll have enough money to do so. This is the part of vision that I don't like. I've struggled with whether to even tell you. I'm still struggling with whether to even tell you. Because I don't want to build another building. I don't know how to build another building. I don't have a foggy idea how to build a building. Let me tell you what's even worse. I'm picky. I stopped hanging pictures in my house. You know why? Because I want them hung perfect. But I can't hang them perfect. So by the time I get done, I have holes all over the wall trying to get it perfect. But I can't hang it perfect because I don't have the skill. Now some of you that got the skill, you're chuckling going, that's pretty funny, Brother Steve. You might even be saying, that's pretty pathetic. I agree. But if you've ever worked with me, I love excellence. I blame it on my mom and my dad. They taught me excellence. It's all your fault. They beat it into me, not literally, but repetition. They challenged me with it. And so it's just, I, I just, the idea, I love this building. It's weird as everything, but I love this building. It's, it's paid for. I don't like the idea of having any sweat about it. I don't want to build another building. But I'm also smart enough to know that if God really does want us to plant 50 churches, and from that base of 50 churches, launch churches into Philadelphia, that's going to require those 50 churches to stay unified and tied together. Even if those 50 churches only grow to the number of people that they minister to of 200. Anybody with me yet? 200 times 50. How many is that? That's 10,000 people. 
we're going to have, we won't be able to put 10,000 people in one building unless we go get the Wachovia Center or something like that. So that's extraordinary. But we're going to have to have some place that facilitates more than 300. I don't want to build another building. But I'm telling you right now, if what God, that's my second timer. I still don't promise to follow it. If God fulfills the vision, I got a sneaky suspicion. It's kind of on the same par as when I was a kid and I told God, I said, God, I don't want to be a preacher. But as I look at it, you're probably going to make me be a preacher. Because if I were you, I would make me be a preacher. It just makes sense. There's a lot of stuff that I just know because I grew up in a preacher's home and, and I know how to talk and I, and I, and I know your word, and I, but I don't want to be a preacher. And so I, I got the same feeling. I'm just looking at it and I got a sneaky suspicion that before I'm able to wash my hands and say I'm done, we're going to be stuck doing something, not for us, but for the building of those churches. Hear me very clearly. I believe in boxing myself in both with commitment and with parameters. We will not build based upon the number of people who come on Sunday mornings. We will multiply services. We will build based upon the number of people that come on Sunday nights that are committed. Because then we will build with cash. Did I tell you we won't take any debt? No, I didn't tell you that. But we ain't taking these million-dollar debts that are bankrupting churches from their missions given and putting the, pressures under, putting the pressure on the pastor so then the gospel has to change and the doctrine has to shift because everybody turns into a dollar bill. I've never pastored that way, and I will not pastor that way. So hear me, God. If you need another building, fill up Sunday night. Well... All that's happening. Which means somewhere in the mix of this, I don't have my timeline tight. I'm making up a story, folks. You're getting the point, though. I realize that we need somebody here at home, at the church. It's part of my way of having clarity about vision is that I travel. I go to other places, I teach and I preach, but while I travel, I think. And if you haven't figured that out about me, just stay around and you're going to find it out. You all are taking a deep breath because I'm going away on vacation. Bad news. I wasn't on vacation in Cuba. I'm much more productive out of vacation. If you think the last three weeks was hot, wait till I come back. It's how I work. It's the weirdest thing. It's not the way my dad works. It's just how I work. So there's got to be people that can step into the pulpit. Time's gone by. He's so old that he needs three canes. He's so old he's in a walker. You getting the image? One of the things that has to shift, this church has never known anything. By the way, is anybody realizing small groups is small potatoes, isn't it? Small groups is no big deal anymore, is it? 
perspective. That's my point. That's exactly my point. You mean we're having small groups once a month? Steve, is this any big deal? No, it's not. That's my point. It's in perspective. It's a small piece in a large vision. Whoever is the assistant becomes the associate. Whoever's the associate becomes the pastor. That cannot be your expectation, congregation. Because if what I'm talking to you about, of the fulfillment of making disciples and establishing churches, in other words, building a home and building a family that's strong enough to allow us to build robust adult Christians, and from that, then plant churches. That means we have to be able to sustain a strong home. Mama and Papa have to be strong. And that requires that there will be people who God will call, just as he did in Antioch, to work together. And so there will be people who will be assistant pastors who will be here and then leave us. And there may be some that will come and be assistant pastors and then leave us and stay with the multi-sites. Or there will be some that will come and they'll leave us and plant another church. And then there will be, like John and Destiny, those who due to their age, they're never going to be the pastor. But John and Destiny came home and they served out the rest of their ministry as the associate pastors. Solid, trustworthy, proven. This is another part where my father has looked at me and said, Son, I don't know how this is going to work. Because John and Destiny are not going to be humble enough to consider their place in the body that God has chosen for them the best place to be. Their humanity is going to kick in. See, that's why we've got to get away from this attitude of pastor-centric. I'm not going to abdicate my role as pastor. I'm not going to abdicate my role as pastor. But you've got to break in your minds the phase that planted the church where it emanated out of James and Eleanor Beardsley. It has to shift now because God has a vision that is so much larger than what we can ever accomplish. One person, one couple, one family cannot do what God has called us to do. We have to get out of it, locked into a pastor-centric is the body functioning? Is the body functioning? Is the body functioning? By faith, John and Destiny, they, they're humble. I'm crazy enough to believe that God will put this in this way that there may be multiple assistant pastors facilitating what God is doing through us in the community. That there will be several associate pastors. But only one of them will then succeed me. I don't choose them. God does. If you don't know that we Beardsleys are crazy, then you haven't hung around long enough. Listen to me carefully. Do not put your hands on my children. You don't call them. 
and you don't deny their calling. Leave them in the hands of their parents and in the hands of God. Let God direct us in who succeeds me. And I promise you, I will let God direct us in who succeeds me. Just because it went well for me to secede my father doesn't mean that God will call one of my children. Just because it seems highly unlikely to be able to pull off a third generation leadership here doesn't preclude God from doing it. We take our hands off from it. When you chase lions, you're not in control. God is. The vision is what governs, not families, not agendas, not pride, not anything else. We've got to make disciples of all, and we've got to establish new churches. Everything is in submission to that vision. Now, I'm smart enough to know that I have planted here tonight seeds that can be taken and run with that will blow this place up. But I challenge you again that God is looking for disciples who will follow him into places, take actions, and challenge circumstances that absolutely require his involvement or they will be destroyed. This is not about Stephen Beardsley. This is not about James and Eleanor Beardsley. This isn't even about Newark UPC. This is about God and souls and churches. God and souls and churches. He's called us to make disciples of all. And from those disciples, he will direct so that we can establish new churches. They're such big plans. He has to rescue us. Some of you may be sitting here and saying, Steve, why would you tell us this? Why would you put all this in the open? Why would, why would you, you know, some of you are excited and, and some of you are scared. Why would you do this? Because there comes a point where the burden has to move into vision. For several years, there was a burden and there was a call upon a man and a woman. They knew amorphously they were to go to the Northeast and they were to start a church. But then there came a point where you had to cut the ties and you had to pull the trigger. My father, you said you'd already moved and then went back to confirm. Is that right? You were in Smyrna and you went back to the cabin. My father went back to that cabin and for a week he fasted, total fasting. Because he knew that he was going into a dangerous place. He knew that he was taking risk. He knew that he was chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day. 
And for a week he prayed and fasted. He stayed an extra day. Did I get that right? Two extra days. At the end of those two days, is that when Gilbert Seth showed up? Three days, and then you stayed two extra. And at the end of the two, that's when he showed up? An angel appeared. And God confirmed to him. And you've heard me tell the stories of Gilberseth. I've never seen that angel. What I'm articulating to you looks even bigger than what he was articulating. But what God has showed me is that it isn't any bigger. Because we got way more resources. we got way more people. And just as much as he had to take the step, we have to take the step. We have to. If he didn't take the step, he was going to die. And if we don't take the step, we're going to die. Well, it doesn't look like we're dying. I know. That's why it's even more dangerous to recalibrate a church, to revitalize a church, because everything says it's already alive. And God has sent me, not because he's upset with us. He's pleased with us. But he's saying it's time to go for the lion. His vision scares us. Again, a narrative, a theme, a metaphor. When the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optic nerve and into the visual cortex, the brain relays an urgent message to the body. Run. Tonight, I challenge you. We are going to chase the lion. It's going to take us time. If you're expecting a Saturday night service next week, I'm sorry. you got a long time waiting. If you're expecting next year three other sites to open, I'm sorry. you got a long time waiting. I don't control the timeline on how long or what it takes. But what we do control is taking the step that is in front of us. Have you found this about discipleship? You know how you follow Jesus? One step at a time. You don't know where he's going. You might have a big picture, but you don't know how you're going to get there. But you just put one foot in front of the other. And what God has impressed upon me is that every one of you have got to see the big picture so that the step that is in front of us this year, which is small groups, we'll take it. And when we take it, we'll realize this isn't a biggie. So when you want to get snarled up in some small element of that next step, and snarled up, you will. I'm calling to a church to keep things in perspective and to realize we can solve what homes we meet in. We can solve what food we eat. We can solve what time we meet. We can solve who hosts and who teaches. We can solve how to split a group. We can solve these small things because our master has actually called us to do even bigger things.
that without his rescue, we're going to fail. Without a vision, the scripture tells us the people perish. This is not my vision. This is God's vision. And before God, I humbly submit to you that I have done everything in my power to make sure this is not Stephen Beardsley. I have drugged my feet for a year and a half. I have had countless meetings with people and elders. I have begged God to somehow take this away. But he has not. So here we are. And here we go. I hope you're ready for an amazing run. Because it's going to end one of two ways. Dead lions. Or dead people. How's that for a sales pitch? But I remind you again of David's words. I chased a lion, Saul. I chased bears. They stole my sheep. And I ran after them. And if they turned on me, I grabbed them by the jaw and clubbed them in the head. The Lord rescued me then. And this big old lunk of a giant, he'll rescue me again. Get your armor off of me. Give me my five smooth pebbles. And watch me take the giant. We're not going to do it like everybody else. I'm not telling you I'm not reading. I'm not telling you I'm not learning. But we're not going to do it like everybody else. We're not going to follow everybody else's model. We are going to follow the Lord's vision. You're a part of it. But you got to be willing to risk it. And so I call you to chase the lion. Would you stand? In one way, I feel like an evangelist. They come into a church, they have a message, they preach it, and they leave. I don't know what the elders are going to do for the next two Sundays. I don't know what's to follow. I don't know what God has already begun to plant in their hearts and their minds. I got no foggy idea. I'm just thankful I got two elders because if it was anybody else, I'd be sweating bullets. But I do believe this. If this is from God, you don't want to miss the next four services. You don't want to miss the next two Sundays. Yeah, it's going to be a different voice. I can promise you they're not going to jump off the platform. One of them might even have to preach to you sitting down. But you don't want to miss it. Because God does not put this into me and have me put this into you to then leave it not followed up. You don't want to miss the next two Sunday services. 
and then the next two Sunday services. You also don't want to miss Wednesday night. Wednesday night will be interactive. You can ask any question you want about small groups, but I want you keeping it in perspective. We'll answer every question that we could think of. We'll answer every question you ask. Then there will be three services for you to decide whether you are willing to host. We will not be able to use every person who, by faith, I believe, will be willing to host a small group. But I believe we're going to grow. Then the month of February is spent, all of you decided whether you're going to sign up for small groups. 70 to 80 of you cooperated in the dry run, in the pilot. By faith, I hope we reach 100. That's my, that's, that's my prayer. God, use Chase the Lion to move some people who said, I don't want to do that, but they got a bigger vision. March, we put it together and structure it. And April 1st, we jump in the pit. We start eating together. We start fussing at each other. We start getting on each other's nerves. We start having trouble with one another. And then we lift our eyes to the bigger vision. And we solve the problems. Whatever it takes, we solve them. We figure it out. Because Susan and Bobby, Richard and Nancy, John and Destiny are out there. And they're waiting on us. And that is what it's all about. And beyond that, there are souls that Susan and Bobby, John and Destiny, Richard and Nancy will reach. And they're waiting on us. And I can't tell God no just because I'm scared. Would you love him right now? Jesus, I worship you. Come on, church. Would you love him right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. I love you and I worship you, Jesus. I praise your name and I magnify you, almighty God. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that every gap, Lord, in what I express, Lord, will be filled by your spirit. God, lead and guide this congregation. I believe in them. I trust them. I have hope in them, Lord, as I know you too, Lord Jesus. Work in our hearts and our minds. Build within us the passion that it doesn't matter where in the body we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. But, God, we want to fulfill your vision. We want to be a part of your kingdom. We want to do what you have called to do. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what it costs. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Many of you will want to say, the preacher has gone crazy. Just wait till I get upstairs before you say it. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.